0: We are studying the names of God, and we have talked a couple of weeks ago about why it's important to study the names of God, and one of them is just because they're there. You know, if God put them there, there must be something important about them, right? You say, Wade, why should I read Leviticus? I'm reading through Leviticus right now my quiet time. And you say, Wade, Leviticus is so detailed, and burnt offerings, and peace offerings, and wave offerings, and, you know, guilt offerings, and, and all of this stuff, and, why should we read leviticus cuz it's there god inspired it he he and he, if he inspired it if he spoke it he spoke it for a reason right and if and if you understand where leviticus fits in redemptive history you understand how important it is it's a it's a beautiful book that speaks of the holiness of god and and the implementation of the sacrificial system which points ultimately to jesus christ the great sacrifice and and so um We need to study our Bibles because it's there. God has spoken, and we should take his revelation seriously. And part of his Bible, uh, our Bible, is um, the revealed names of God. So they're there, so we should study them. Also, as we study the names of God, it helps us to get beyond the generic use of God in our culture. You know, a lot of people talk about God, but when they say God and we say God, we're talking about two totally different uh, entities, right? Uh, Some people are talking about a God that does not exist, biblically speaking. And so when we talk about the names of God, what God has revealed about himself through his names, we're going beyond just the generic God to the specificity of who the God of the Bible is. And I think that's important. So I hope you'll see that as we work our way through. Now we've, we've talked about the, the names of God that begin with El. We talked about the, just the name El, which basically means the strong strong one, God of strength. We talked about Elohim, uh, which is a, a, an oft-used name of God in the Bible. We talked about El Roi, the all-seeing God. Uh, we talked about El Shaddai, God Almighty. So we talked about those names of God that begin with El. Uh, last week, we talked about the name Adonai. Anybody remember what Adonai means? Master, Lord, that's what the word means. We talked about that, that name of God and the implications for our lives. And that was a, a, a great study for me personally. This week, we're going to talk about the name of God that is used most uh, in the Bible, uh, it is the name Yahweh, Yahweh, okay? If you look down your na- notes, we say Yahweh, we're speaking of the proper name of God, the proper name of God, and it means he is, that's basically what it means. It's, it's a lot more complex than that, and we'll get into some of that in a minute, but, but just if you just kind of boil it all down, Yahweh means he is, okay? It's a verb of being, uh, or name of being, it comes from a root, word for the verb of being, and so it's he is, and it's his proper name. Now, I have a title. I have several titles. I I have the title of husband. I'm husband to Claire. Uh, I'm a father. I am a pastor. Those are some titles, and and there are some adjectives that may describe me, like you may describe me as uh, Florida State Seminole fan. That's an adjectival description of who I am. Uh, am but my proper name is wade humphreys right that distinguishes me from a lot of other folks there's a lot of seminole fans there's a lot of pastors a lot of husbands a lot of fathers when you say wade Humphreys, you're talking about someone specific well some of the names of god are are titles or adjectival descriptions of god but the name yahweh is his proper name it's what god has told us his name is so this distinguishes him from all other concepts of God out there. This is the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, the God who has revealed himself through sending his son, Jesus Christ. This is a very specific God that has revealed his name. His name is Yahweh. Now I want to show you this. Turn to Psalm 68, Psalm 68, verse 4. By the way, is it cold enough for you guys outside tonight? Is it, you're ready for ready for spring. All right, it's our summer. Yeah, Psalm sixty-eight. My wife is she just she loves the beach. She's a beach Florida girl, and she's yeah she she's ready for the the hot weather. Psalm sixty-eight. Look what it says in verse four: Sing to God, Psalm of David. Sing to God. Sing praises to what? His name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord. Now notice, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, it's the word Adonai. Lord, we studied that last week, remember? But when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the divine name of God. That is the name Yahweh, all right? So it says, whose name is Yahweh? And exalt before him. So sing to his name. What's his name? His name's Yahweh. Okay. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, verse 8. This is God speaking here, and he says, I am the Lord. Notice there, again, it's Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. So God tells us, that is my name. Yahweh is my name. This is the proper name of God. When we say Yahweh, we're talking about a very specific God, the God of the Bible, that God's revealed himself through the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so... That is the name, the proper name of God. Now, this, this name occurs more than 6,000 times uh, in the Bible. So it is used often throughout the Bible. Now, let me just say a quick word here. Sometimes this name is translated in some of the older translations uh, as Jehovah. As a matter of fact, for some reason I'm not real sure of yet, as this name is put together with other titles for God, like the Lord our Provider, it's, it's, it's called Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Rapha, or Jehovah Nisi. And they use Jehovah instead of Yahweh. And I'm not really sure why that's done in some of the books that talk about the names of God, but it's done. They use Jehovah instead of Yahweh. And so Jehovah and Yahweh are referring to the same name of God. You say, where did Jehovah come from? It's really kind of quite complex. I'm going to try to give you just kind of a, kind of a just quick version of where the word Jehovah came from. It's another translation of Yahweh. It, it, it was formed... By, by taking the consonants that are revealed in the Hebrew Bible, YHWH. I told you last week that when you see the divine name of God in the original Hebrew, the, the vowels weren't there. It was just Y-H-W-H. And so scholars make their best guesses about how the vowels fit in there. And what would happen is uh, when, when Jews would, would read through their Bibles, when they came to the divine name of God, for fear of mispronouncing it, they would use the word Adonai instead of Yahweh. Okay, or Y-H-W-H, or some derivative of Y-H-W-H. And so they came to the divine name of God. They would say, instead of us saying Yahweh like we were doing tonight, they would say Adonai. They would just substitute Adonai, so they would not, um, they would not um, pronounce the name of God wrong. Well, um, at some point, as the, the, the Jews were making copies of the Hebrew Bible, when they came to the divine name, they would write the consonants Y-H-W-H, but then they would put the vowels of Adonai under there to remind everybody that when you get here, don't say YHWH, say Adonai. That makes sense? You're with me so far? Okay. Well, in the Middle Ages, uh, 16th century, somewhere around there, um, an Italian Bible scholar had the idea of taking the, the, the vowels from Adonai and the consonants from Yahweh as they are, as they are translated in Latin. See, it gets real complicated. And, and putting them all together, and that's where you get Jehovah. Does that make sense? Okay. Are you better off for knowing that? Okay. Now, here's what I want you to understand by that. Jehovah was not in the original Hebrew. It's, we came to that through all this stuff, Adonai and adding the vowel points. And, and so I think Yahweh is a better representation of the name of God than Jehovah. Okay, Jehovah's picked up some steam uh, through again uh, the King James uses it in some places but not all places you see the divine name of God some, uh, uh, the uh, uh, American Standard Version I think uses Jehovah in some places and so it's a name that's used but it's referring to the name we call Yahweh okay? and for some reason again when you see studies on the names of God they always use Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Nisi Jehovah Raph instead of Yahweh Jireh. I guess it just sounds better I don't really know why they do that I haven't, so rolls off your tongue better and so when we do it, when we like next week we'll start to get into the, the, the Yahweh combo names. So we get that. I don't know if I'm going to go Jehovah, Jireh, or I may go Yahweh, Jireh, just to throw you off. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not sure how I'm going to do that yet. But, but anyway, that's where Jehovah comes from. And by the way, if you want to know the name of that Bible scholar that decided to put the, the vowels from Adonai with the consonants of, of the Latin consonants of, of Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, his name was Petrus Galatinus. So, just so you know, I just want to make sure you want to make sure you knew that um, in case you're asked about that tomorrow. Okay, all right. Now let's get to the let's get to the the, the meat of this. Okay, Wade, that's his name. He is. What's that mean for our lives? How, how how should that affect the way we we walk with him, talk with him, worship, live for him, think about life, think about things, or how it should it affect our worldview? How does this? What does this name of God mean for us? How does this apply to us? I want to give you at least um, uh, five answers to that question. I think you have, what, five blanks there? Is there five? Do you have five? Five. So, five answers to that question, um, and we'll uh, talk our way through it. Number one the name Yahweh means that God exists and is self sufficient. Now turn to Exodus 3. We're going to spend a lot of time in Exodus 3 tonight because this is where God first reveals his name. Exodus chapter 3. You remember the story of the burning bush, right? Israel was in Egyptian bondage and slavery, being treated cruelly by Pharaoh. And Moses left Egypt even though he was raised in Pharaoh's palaces because he killed an Egyptian man because he saw him mistreating a Hebrew. And so Moses fled for his life for 40 years. He's tending sheep on the backside of nowhere. And one day in the wilderness, God appears to him uh, with a burning bush, Okay, a a bush that's on fire but it's not being consumed. So Moses knows something supernatural is going on, and God speaks to him out of that bush. He says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. You remember what he told Moses? Moses I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. That's your job. This is a daunting task. There's no question. And Moses knew this. And so Moses is hesitant, who am I that you should send me? I can't speak. I, I don't talk well. You know, he went through this litany of reasons God should not, speak to him, uh, should not send him. But at one point he says, okay, if I go, people are going to want to say, well, who are you, Moses? Who, who sent you? Who's your authority? I mean, why should we listen to what you have to say? And so God answers his question, okay, here's what you tell them. If they ask you who sent you, I want you to tell them this. So look what it says in Exodus 3, uh, verse 14. Well, look back at verse 13 to see the context. Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, here it is, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, that's Yahweh, which is built off the same root that I am is built off of. So there's a connection here. I'll talk about that in a minute. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is his name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. And so then he says, verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I'm indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So in response to Moses' question, who shall I tell them sent me? He says, I want you to tell them my name. And he reveals this awesome phrase. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Tell them my name is the Lord. The Lord God has sent you. Now, verse 14, where he says, I am who I am, and then uh, he says, I am has sent me to you. That phrase, I am who I am, speaks of the basis for the name of God. The actual name of God, Yahweh, is found in verse 15, where he says, you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, uh, the Lord Yahweh there. And so there's a connection between verse 14 and 15, but verse 14 is the basis for the name of uh, Yahweh. The word for I am, everybody see the word I am there, I am that I am? The word for I am is uh, ayah in the Hebrew. It's, it's basically the verb to be, okay, the, the verb for existence. It's in the first person singular. The name Yahweh uh, there in verse 15 is an early form of the same verb, but it's in third person singular. So the name of God is related. What I want you to get from all that is the name of God Yahweh is related by, by connection at their root, same letters are used to the phrase "I am." Everybody got that? Okay. So whatever Yahweh means, it is it, built upon what "I am" who I am means. So verse fourteen is a is a is an indicator of what Yahweh means. So what does it mean that God is "I am," that I am, or I am who I am? Well, it means that God exists and is self sufficient. Notice he doesn't say I came to be. He said I am. I, I exist. It speaks of God's existence from eternity past and his self sufficient. No one self sufficiency. No one brought him into being. No one caused him to be. He just is the, the great I am. I like the way that uh, A.W. Pink says it. He says he is solitary in his majesty, unique in his excellency peerless in his perfections, he sustains all, but is himself independent of all. He gives to all and is enriched by none. So he's saying I, I, it's not I'm going to be or I, I I used to be or I'm going to be or I I will be or someone brought me into being. He says I just I am. Everything that is that exists came into came into being because I was there first. That's meant uh, a meaning of this phrase, I am who I am. Now, to kind of nail this down, turn over to Acts chapter 17. Verse 24. Now, if everybody's with me so far, say amen. If you're not, just don't say anything. Now, look at Acts 17, verse 24. This is Paul speaking in Athens on Mars Hill, in the midst of all these philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics, and and he's speaking to them about the one true God. And in verse 24 he says, "...the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation." that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and and he goes on to to speak to them in that passage. So what's Paul saying there? Paul is saying that the one true God is a God that doesn't need anything. He's I am, and he's always been I am. There's never been a time when he was not I am. He existed in eternity past. He existed in the days of Moses. He exists now. He is I am. He always was I am. He always will be I am. He's always been a God who is. Be, who, who is. He's always been in a state of being, in existence, if you will. And so we, we learn from that that God is, is self-sufficient. He, 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 he doesn't need anything. And this is important because you hear a lot of bad theology sometimes. They go something like this. Well, uh, God created me because he needed some companionship. He needed me to be his friend. And so he was lonely in the universe or in the pre-universe, and so he created me so he could have a companion to hang out with. No, he was there, self-existent, self-sufficient, before the universe was ever in existence. He said, wait, how long was he there before the universe came into existence? Well, forever. There's never been a time when God has not been there. That makes sense? that hard to, hard to wrap your mind around? Of course it is. He's God. All right? His, his ways are not your ways. Thoughts are not your thoughts. Of course it's hard to wrap your mind around. And by the, by the way, I love that I worship a God that I can't wrap my mind around. Don't you? I don't have him figured out. He's bigger than me. He's transcendent. He's bigger than me. And so he's, he's worthy of my worship and worthy of my praise. But he's, he's I am. He's, he's always, he doesn't need us. The truth is, we need him. See the difference there? And so he created us for his glory in his grand scheme of things. Isaiah is very clear. He created humanity for his glory. When the dust settles, it's all said and done. The curtain closes on human history. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will get maximum glory from the way the the created order uh, uh, happened. All right? And so we need to understand that God didn't need us. He created us for his glory. But because we are created by the one who is I am, we desperately need uh, him, okay? Uh, so God exists, and he is self-sufficient. There's a lot more that I could that I could say about that, but l- let's just move on to number two. But just to learn, God exists, and he is He is self-sufficient. Oh, by the way, let me just say a word about God pre-existing before the universe, um, existing before the universe. You want me to tell you why he wasn't lonely? Why well, wasn't God lonely before... Humanity was here. Yeah, he existed in this triune um, person. I mean, he, he's trying, he, was, he was God, uh, one in essence and nature, existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. So there's this, this divine relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that's been around forever. And when we get saved, God is actually inviting us into that relationship. The joy of that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he invites us into that. We get to be a part of that which has been there for all of eternity. And so don't, don't fall into this trap of thinking, well, God needs me, or, you know, or, or, or God needs some companionship or friendship or whatever. No, God doesn't need us. We need him, okay? He's the I am, the great I am. I am who I am. God exists and is self-sufficient. Let's look at the second one quickly. We'll take some questions in a moment. Back in Exodus 3, God is knowable, and he desires a covenant relationship with us. This name Yahweh built upon the meaning I am who I am means that God is knowable, and he desires a covenant relationship with us. He says in Exodus 3.14, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said to him, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am and sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the God, Elohim, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has sent me to uh, you. The fact that God reveals his name to Moses and subsequently to the people of Israel and subsequently to the seed of Abraham or the descendants of Abraham, who are those who have placed their faith in Christ, means that God wants to be known. Because if God didn't want to be known, he just wouldn't tell us his name, right? How many of you have ever been called by a telemarketer? The phone rings, there's a delay, right? Finally, somebody comes on the line, and they say, may I ask who's speaking? And I'm thinking, I don't want, I don't want you to know who I am. I don't want to say my name to you. I don't know who this is. Why don't you tell me who you are? Maybe tell me who you are, maybe I'll tell you who I am. But I don't volunteer my name because I don't necessarily want them to know me. Does that make sense? And if God didn't want us to know him, he wouldn't have told us his proper name. But by virtue of the fact that he has said, my name is Yahweh, built from this meaning that I am who I am, built upon that same foundation, God wants us to know who he is. And not only has he revealed his name and is he knowable, but he desires a covenant relationship. Look what he says there in verse 15. You shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He said, I'm the same God that was the God of your forefathers. I was, I was Abraham's God, I was Isaac's God, I was Jacob's God. And by implication, he's saying, I want to be your God. I want to be the God that you worship, the God that you serve. He desires his covenant relationship with his people. Now turn to Exodus chapter 33. You'll see this clearly. Exodus 33 Verse 19, it's when Moses wants to see God's glory. Verse 18 says, Moses said, but pray, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Says, so I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Okay, and understand that part of my, Part of the proclamation of my name is knowing that I have people that I want to show compassion to. I have people I want to show mercy to. I I want to be a covenant God. I want to have a relationship with some people. Okay, We'll talk about who those people are in a moment. But he, he desires a covenant relationship. Now here's just an interesting little factoid for you. We talked about Leviticus a few moments ago. Leviticus, in the first seven chapters, only uses the the title Elohim once we talked about Elohim as a name for God. It uses that title one time. The first seven chapters of Leviticus. Somebody tell me real quick what's Leviticus about? What's that? The the institution, the sacrificial system, right? The offerings, sacrifices, the priesthood, how you consecrate them for service, Day of Atonement. That's all in the book of Leviticus. So it's about the sacrificial system. So it's about God establishing His covenant with Israel. Everybody got that? So it's about, this is God wanting to enter into relationship with them. And this is how they were, related, to, were to relate to him through the sacrificial system. So in the first seven chapters, Elohim is used one time, but Yahweh is used 86 times. 86 times. As he's, as he's establishing this, this relationship, this, this system of, of how they would relate to him with the people of Israel, he keeps using the proper name, Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. I'm not just laying down some, some, some obscure rules for you. I'm your God. I want you to be my people. And these these laws, these, these sacrifices, these offerings are going to teach you something about me. God is a God that desires covenant relationship. He was establishing all of this so that Israel could be his covenant people. And what's extraordinary about that is humanity failed when it came to the old covenant. I mean, they just blew it because uh, no one can keep the law because we all have a sin nature, right? We've all blown it. Just look at the Ten Commandments. We've all we've all blown it when it comes to the Ten Commandments, right? But here's the neat thing. Galatians says the law is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The law shows us how sinful we are so that we see our need for a Savior. And if we see our need for a Savior and we run to Jesus, guess what? We step into a, the Bible says, a new covenant. God made a promise. If you are in Christ, if you embrace my son as your Lord and Savior, I promise to do two things for you. Here's the new covenant. You ready? Number one, I'll forgive you of all your sins. Number two, I'll give you a new heart and change you from the inside out. That's the new covenant. That's a promise from God. And God desires that covenant relationship. That covenant relationship only comes about when you're in Christ. But because there is Jesus available for our salvation, we see that God desires to be in covenant with us. Got that? So the word Yahweh or the name Yahweh speaks of the fact that God is knowable because he told us his name, right? But it also reminds us, as we see him use it in relationship to his people, that he desires a covenant relationship with us. And there's nothing like knowing God in a real and personal way. All right. Let's look at number three. Wait, any questions on that before we go on to number three? We're going to hustle a little bit here. I thought we were going to have a lot of time left over, but it's not turning out that way. Any questions on the on the first two? You confused? Everybody with me so far? By good. Really, I'm telling you, this is really complex stuff. I mean, I, I it's it is it, it's 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 just there's a lot to it. Let's look at number three. Number three. God doesn't change. What's the word Yahweh mean? the name Yahweh mean? God doesn't change, so he's worthy of worship from all generations. Now look back in Exodus 3 with me. Verse 14. There's a little insight here by looking at the grammar. Exodus 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you Now, notice he says, I am, not I was or not I will be, I am, okay? Now, that, that phrase, I am who I am, is in the imperfect tense, which may not mean much to you, but the imperfect tense can be used to denote, listen to this, an action from the past that continues in the present but is not yet complete. So by him saying, I am who I am, in the imperfect tense, he's saying, I am who I am, who I was and who I am now, is who I was, and who I am now is who I will always be. that makes sense? So by him using imperfect tense here, God is saying to us that who he is, his existence, the great I am, will never change. He is, the, the theological term is immutable. He, he will not change from who he is. I am who I am, that's who I will always be. Does that make sense? That's, that's what's meant there by that imperfect tense. Uh, Malachi uh, chapter 3. Uh, the Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. God does not change, which is good. Aren't you glad we don't have a capricious God that, that changes with, every, with, 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 with different whims and different emotions? God is who he is, and who he is is who he will always be, so we can trust him because he does not uh, change. Now, this is alluded to in this passage because look what he says in verse 15. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name for how long? Forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. So it's as if God is saying, I am, this is who I am. I'm going to be, I am forever. And so you can trust me and serve me and love me now. And guess what? The generations after you can trust me and love me and serve me. And the generations after them can trust me and serve me and love me. Because I'll still be I am then. I'm the I am to all generations. So we might say it like this. The God who was in the days of Moses is the God who is in our lives today. He is everything that you and I need and so much more and because he doesn't change listen to me he's the i am in our lives today he gives us what we need but because he doesn't change he's going to be the i am for our kids and our kids kids let me just be honest with you for a moment i I, i've just been concerned about the state of not just our country but our world and the things that are going on and and um and i think about my kids what's you know what's this nation going to be like 20 years from now you know, what's the debt going to look like and how's that going to be a burden to my kids and what's the, the status of, 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 of morality going to be in our culture and, and, and how dark is it going to get? And, and there's sometimes times I've, as I just kind of look at the landscape of what's happening that I've, I've found myself worrying, worrying about my kids. Man, what's this going what's to be like for them? And and this really helped me studying this to just realize that, that whatever it's going to be like, I am going to be there. And... He's, and, and if my kids embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, He will be there. I am. And He will be sufficient for what they need, no matter how dark it is, no matter how bad it gets. God will be there. I am. He'll be their God. He will be what they need when they need Him. Amen? I mean, you think it's going to be dark in our nation? You think it was dark for Moses to walk into the palace of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and say, let my people go? You think that was difficult? You think it was difficult for Paul to be beaten in Lystra and stoned and left for dead? you think it was difficult for him to be shipwrecked multiple times and, and beaten in different cities and his life threatened? I mean, you think, that was yes, there, there's, there's no shortage of difficulty in the Bible, and, and it, there may be difficult, dark days ahead, but listen to me. I am will be there, and we need to point our kids to the I am, the great I am, and say, hold on to him, love him, follow him, serve him. Cling to him because whatever you need, when you get there, he's going to be there. He doesn't change. The same God that was faithful to your dad and your mom will be faithful to you. So just love him. The God who does not change. There's a lot in that verse. I am who I am. Let's look at the the fourth thought here. We are to worship God according to how he has revealed himself implied in this name Yahweh, built upon the foundation of I am who I am, verb of being. We need to worship God according to how He has revealed Himself. Now turn back to Exodus 34, a very key passage out of a professor in seminary that made this claim. He said that Exodus 34 verses six and seven are the two most important theological verses in the Old Testament. That could be disputed, but that's what he said and and They are very important verses, all right? Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. I remember the context here. Moses said, show me your glory. I want to know more about you. I want to know more of who you are. And God said, well, you can't handle it all, all right? You can't handle it all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in a rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to let you kind of see my back because you just can't look fully into my, my character, my nature. can't look into my face and live. It's just, it's just impossible. That, so that's what happens. And, and look what happens as God passes by. In um, Well, back, back up to verse 19 of chapter 33. He t- tells Moses what he's going to do. I, will make, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So you ask for my glory, I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to proclaim my name. So what he's about to do has something to do with Yahweh. Okay? Now look what happens in chapter 34, 6, and 7. Then the Lord, notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, then Yahweh passed by in front of him and proclaimed his name. The Lord, the Lord. Hebrew, Yahweh. Yahweh. And look what he says. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So God says, Yahweh, Yahweh, here's what I'm like. Here's who Yahweh is. I'm loving, gracious, compassionate, merciful. And yet, if you don't turn to me, I will punish iniquity. I will punish sin. Now, here's what's interesting about those two different aspects of God. In the Hebrew language here in these two verses, the same number of words are used to describe each aspect of God. The gracious, loving aspect of God and the judging, um, holy Uh, sin punishing aspect of God both those both those uh sections have the same number of words in the Hebrew so it's meant to be paralleled there to show us this is who God is okay so God reveals something about his character and his nature and so here's what we've got to do we've got to accept what God reveals about himself and not try to create a God in our own image we simply accept what God says about himself and say, you're God, I worship you for who you are. How many of you have ever heard someone say something like this? Well, God's a God of love. I don't think he'd ever send someone to hell. You ever heard someone say that? Raise your hand if you ever heard someone say that. Now, first half of that statement is is very accurate. God is a God of love. I mean, 1 John 4, God is love. I mean, how much more loving could you be than to give your only son for rebellious humans and then pursuing them by your grace. So they would embrace Jesus as Lord and say, I mean, how much more loving could you get? I mean, God is love, but God is holy, and he must punish sin. And either your sins will be punished by Jesus on the cross, and you've accepted his punishment on your behalf, or you'll spend eternity paying for your own sins. But God will punish your sins. Does that make sense? Let me, let me say it like this. No one will ever step into God's presence with unforgiven sin in their life. Your sins have to be forgiven. They have to be punished by a holy God. And Jesus came to take that punishment for us. That's why the cross is so amazing. So we've got we've to accept what God has revealed about himself. Yahweh, Yahweh. Here's what Yahweh is like. Exodus 34. I'm loving, I'm gracious, I'm merciful, but I'm also serious about sin. I will judge sin let me show you a couple other verses turn to turn to leviticus chapter 19 leviticus chapter 19 i told you you've been reading leviticus lately i love it look at leviticus 19 with me what it says in verse 2 speak to all this is the lord speaking to moses Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's who Yahweh is. Yahweh is holy. Yahweh is a God who is light in him. There is no darkness at all. He's a God of absolute moral perfection, a God of otherness. He's unique. There's none like him, none but him. He is the one true God. He is holy. That's what he reveals about himself in connection with the name Yahweh. Then turn over to, um, to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. This is the Lord speaking to Israel, his his chosen nation, his covenant people in jeremiah 31 3 the lord appeared to him from afar saying i have loved you with an everlasting love therefore i've drawn you with loving kindness notice it calls him the lord there calls him yahweh there in verse 3 and yahweh says i love you i've drawn you with love and so we see different aspects of the character nature of god that are directly connected to the name yahweh and we learn from that that Hey, whatever God reveals about Himself, that's what we're to believe and to embrace and to rejoice in and to worship because we can't pick and choose from the the character and nature of God. God is Yahweh. He is who He is. He's the great I Am. And we are to embrace Him for how He has revealed Himself. I like this quote from John Piper. He writes, Therefore, our calling as creatures is to know Him for who He is, not for who we would want or not for who we would like him to be. (laughs) We're Bible-believing Christians. We accept what the Bible reveals about God, and we embrace him and worship him for who he is, not for how we think he ought to be. Everybody got that? Connected with Yahweh. So, we're to worship God according to how he's revealed himself. Let me give you the fifth thing, and we'll close down here. This is where it gets just real good. Jesus used the divine name which indicates that he is God. Jesus used the divine name, which indicates that he is God. Now, turn to John chapter 8. Jesus here is having a dispute with some Jewish religious leaders. Look in... uh, John 8, verse 48. Somebody baking? Do you smell cookies? Wow, smells so good. So y'all just y'all just smell that and just let your stomachs rumble, all right? John 8 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they were using a racial slur there because they hated the Samaritans. And they say. And you have a demon. They, listen to this. They were calling Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh. They were telling me he had a demon in, in him. Wow. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? The gauntlet has been thrown down. Look what Jesus says. I love this. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing, but it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Now look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Now, how could Abraham see the day of Jesus? Look what happens next. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? I mean, he lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and you're, you're 30 and how is that possible? Look what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was born, what's it say? I am. In the Greek, it's ego, I, me. Now, look what they do next. This helps us to understand how they understood what he just said. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they want to kill Jesus? Because they thought he was guilty of blasphemy. For him to use the the title, I am the, the foundation for the divine name of God, Yahweh, same, it comes from the same derivative, same root, was, in their mind, blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy was stoning. And when they brought him in before the high priest, they accused him of blasphemy. And he, he made himself out to be God. But Jesus applies this phrase, I am, which God used, the Lord used at the burning bush, to himself. Everybody see that? And the Jews were infuriated. And by the way, it's all over the book of John. He uses the phrase, Ego I Me, all over the I am the resurrection of the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. You see it everywhere. When he, walks up to the, when he walks up to the disciples there in the boat in the storm, remember that whole deal? And they're scared at first. He says, Hey, don't be afraid. And our English translations say, It is I. Do not be afraid. In the, in the, in the Greek, it says, Do not be afraid. Ego I Me. I am. Don't be afraid. And let me show you another cool example where he uses the, 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 the title, I am. Turn over to uh, chapter 18, verse 1. It's right after Jesus prays the high priestly prayer in chapter 17. We spent all summer studying that prayer, if you remember last summer. We look in chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. He was coming into the garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, now, my translation says, I am he. That's not what it says in the Greek. That's, that's supplied. As a matter of fact, in my translation, he, he is in italics. He in italics in your translation? It means the, the translators kind of put it in there so we would understand it better. But in the original language, in the Greek language, it reads like this. So when he, so when he said to them, or he said to them, ego I me, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, look at verse 6, I am they drew back and fell to the ground. You ever caught that before reading John? He says, Ego I me, I am the D- divine name of God, title of God. And there's something, there was something so powerful in that, maybe some little unveiling of his glory, that the people that come with clubs and weapons to arrest him fall down on the ground. Why? Jesus is just letting everybody know who it is they're arresting. I, listen, I'm going to let you arrest me. I could call I could call 12 legions of angels. I don't have to go to the cross if I don't want to. I'm doing what the Father sent me to do. I'm doing it out of my love for humanity. But I want you to know I'm in control because I am. I'm willingly, voluntarily going to the cross. But don't forget who you're arresting. You're arresting Ego Ami. You're arresting the I am. You're arresting the one true God. So by Jesus applying this title to himself, the same title that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush the derivative from the na- name of God, Yahweh, we see that Jesus was God on earth, the second person of the Godhead, the great I am, worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. And so, I just, there's a lot there. The name Yahweh, there's five, at least there's more than this, but five uh, implications for our lives, five things that ought, ought to inform us inform us in in our lives and I hope that when you read your bibles and you come to capital l capital o capital r capital d and you say oh, that's, that's that's god's proper name that's him telling us who he is and what he's like and I hope that you'll learn to appreciate when you see that name of god in your bibles